Hi, Father Ian Van Heusen here. The Art of Living Well podcast, where I just take an opportunity in this audio format to kind of flesh out my thinking, flesh out my ideas. And uh, I've been exploring lately the the discussions that we've been having on the Art of Living Well um, discussion group on Facebook, which I'm really enjoying. You know, I'm just loving hearing the different perspectives and really having a fruitful conversation on Facebook. You know, I think this whole idea that you can't have like a meaningful conversation and meaningful disagreements is is just a bunch of baloney. I've seen it now time and time again where we're really able to have some really deep conversations where different people have different viewpoints and they're being heard out. So what I kind of wanted to get into in this particular podcast was one of our discussions on the idea of save the liturgy, save the world. It's an idea, I believe the idea was first put forward by um, Father Z, I believe. I, I, I linked to an article. I'm pretty sure it goes back to him. It's an idea that's popular with traditionalists, and I'm going to put a little bit of my own spin on it. So we're going to be talking about save the liturgy, save the world. And the idea was by a reform of the liturgy that was more in line with the pre-Vatican II liturgy, the Latin Mass is what it's sometimes referred to, that if there's at least a continuity between the new Mass and the old Mass, that this will lead to a general revival within the church. So let's jump into the comments. So one comment was, I think every time the change, every time the change, they lose more people. Now, I will say this. People are kind of commenting on the fly, and I'm, I'm going to try to correct their English as much as possible, but people are just having a conversation. So don't be too critical of people's English as we're kind of going through this. So the first person goes, I think every time they change something, they lose people. Stop changing. Stick with what we have now. A lot of folks are used to it now. Anyone under 50 grew up with Vatican II. Changing back won't bring new people in. It will just make the older folks happy again at the cost of the younger folks. And there was a few folks that mentioned also that it does seem more popular among young people, the Latin Mass, especially in uh, the Raleigh Triangle area where where I have a lot of people I know. Um, out here in Greenville, it's a little bit different because we're just not really a hub of Catholicism. We're really a small town. But in areas where there's multiple Catholic parishes, um, the Latin Mass, at least in my diocese, is more popular with young adults. But I'm going to come back to this idea of changing and losing people with changing the liturgy. Comment two. I do think there is something to be said and to be looked at when traditional seminaries are filled to the point where they are having to build new ones while most dioceses are saying there's a clergy shortage. Also, traditional-based religious orders are going fast, too. Look at how fast Clear Creek Abbey in Oklahoma and Silverstream Priory in Ireland have grown in recent years. And not just the abbeys themselves, but the community around them. And another traditional order has been given approval in PA. Um, I'm not sure what that order is. So, And I'm going to come back to these ideas. I just want to kind of share some of the comments from the group. Um, So the person says, I agree with so-and-so. I'm not going to name the people. Though I think there needs to be a better understanding of the Mass. It needs to begin with the priest. There are priests who they themselves seem to have little reverence for the Mass. It is more of a race to get it over than just going through the motions. Sadly, this seems more prevalent among older priests. The Mass now is beautiful if done correctly. And then comment four. They were talking about assisting and participating in Mass. So this is a comment in the middle of a a longer thread. And it goes, it all depends on the language. English, English is a third language to me. Assistir in French and Creole means sitting, watching, and not doing a thing. Participar, on the other hand, means being part of. When I started going to my own, my my current church, I was shocked. People have books but don't sing, and I've never seen such thing before. Not singing, not answering when the priest speaks. It took a while for me to be okay with it. 
So what I'm going to do, similar to the structure of the SUMA, I just laid out some comments. I'm going to go back and add my own replies to all of those comments. But first, what I want to get into when discussing how um, how we're going to understand the liturgy, I, I want to start with something that I've been using more is a tripart division of the human person. And I, you find this in St. Paul. You definitely find it in the tradition and a little bit more common in the Orthodox. It's a little bit different than uh, St. Thomas Aquinas where you have the, the, uh, the, the uh, body-soul distinction, but it, it, it lines up well. I mean, I'm not going to do all the academic work here right now, but it lines up well. So the, the tripart division is body, bodily, the sens- sensual, the emotions, and in St. Thomas Aquinas and in the tradition in general, the emotions or the passions are tied with the body. They always correspond to some physical change or some physical motion. Actually, St. Thomas Aquinas ties it a lot with the beating of the heart, and that's in the Summa. So there's the bodily emotional side. There's what I'm going to call the psychological or the interior. And this would be your interior dialogue, your conversation with yourself. And then finally, there's this idea of a deeper self, the core, the spirit, or the the heart, the place of encounter. And this tripart division is actually um, favored a bit in the catechism. I'm not exactly sure if it puts it exactly that way, but what, what, what I wanted to do is to get into a little bit is the whole movement of the liturgy to formulate a response. And St. Thomas Aquinas, he talks about the mission of the Trinity, he talks about this in the Summa, is to move us from the visible to the invisible. And he actually, in certain parts, when he's talking about the sacraments, he talks about this visible exterior part and then the interior working of grace, which would be beyond sense experience. Um, it's, it's not necessarily beyond experience itself, but that actually is a little bit more of a, a complex theoretical conversation. But just getting into this idea that it's a movement from the bodily, the exterior, the sensual, through the psychological to the heart to a deeper spiritual principle. Why is this important? I think one of the things that can be a challenge right now when we're talking about the Mass is often people will look for experiences within the Mass or within group activities that don't necessarily lead from the exterior to the interior, the deeper heart. And so I would say on a subjective level, the Mass should be oriented towards infused contemplation or the gift of contemplation. This is a classical notion. It may not be put exactly this way in the tradition, but even the idea of things like Gregorian chant in the Mass, the idea was to still the emotions, to calm the heart, awaken the the mind to truth, and to lead to a wordless, imageless resting in the Lord. Now, I don't, I'm going to actually disagree with the earlier classical notion that certain they, they, they had a certain idea that is popular now among some traditionalists that certain ranges for music or certain kinds of music were inappropriate because they just stirred the emotions in ways that took away from contemplation, this wordless, imageless resting in the Lord. But I will say, and this is one of the things I've directed the, our music choir and people I work with, is that the instruments should be played in such a way that lead to that resting. And this is where I've even talked about, like, particularly the use of drums with a praise band, um, because we do have a praise band at the parish and at ECU Newman. Um, I, I'm a little bit different from a lot of traditionalists in the sense that I think that some of those songs can be played, but they, it has to be understood that there's a kind of rise and there's a fall and there's a crescendo to the Mass as I see it, which 
is I'll be honest with you, that's just my own personal expect, perspective. That's not something I've read in a book. I almost see it as you can have certain rises and surges of the heart, but that when it comes to the Eucharistic prayer, there should be a tapering off. It should kind of lead to that silence of the elevation and a kind of, and that's where I, even when I'm praying the prayers, try to not whisper, but say it in a hushed tone to draw people in. And in fact, when I was a, a poet uh, in Albany and did a lot of performances, there was this one poet that he would get everybody to, to, to quiet down by whispering the words of his poems. And you could almost hear a pin drop. And it would be in these crowded bars. And he would, he would start loud, and then he would bring it soft. And he did it in such a way that it really just calmed everything down. It was really beautiful stuff. I think we, there's room for that in the Mass. I actually think one of the times, a lot of times I heard early on in seminary was people would say, well, you know, the problem is, is people treated the Mass in the 60s and 70s like it was theater. I don't think that was the problem, actually. I think the problem is, is that it was bad theater. Actually, what we need is we need a good the- theatrical in the Mass, which is the true drama of the Mass is to orient our hearts towards contemplation, towards that encounter with Jesus Christ, towards that mystery of God's mercy and love. And often, some of the aesthetics that crept in after Vatican II were, went against that. They were kind of, they, they created sounds, they created rhythms that were almost more suited to dance than to this wordless, imageless resting. Um, not to say that occasionally a little rhythm in the Mass is the end of the world, though I, I know your, your hardcore traditionalists will disagree with me on that. But I will say this. Ultimately, let me have a little drink here. Ultimately, the orienting of the exterior parts of the Mass, the music, the concepts, the ideas, the preaching, should lead us to the heart to the encounter, and what I would call the ecstasy of the Mass, which is not simply an emotional experience, but we're drawn into the mystery and we forget ourselves in an act of love to the Father and in an act of worship and an act of sacrifice of self-donation. So let's go back through the comments. Comment one. So they talk about not changing. You know, I think the challenge is, I, I used to think this when I was younger, you know, that, that the Mass is unchanging. And there's elements of it, and they actually covered this in our liturgy class, there are elements of the Mass that never change, that constitute the core of the celebration. But it does have to be adapted to times and circumstances. I think perhaps uh, there's just certain temperaments that don't like change, but the reality is we're living in a constantly changing world. And most of the things that we're growing up with, I mean, m- things will adapt and evolve. I think it can be particularly hard is that we're in the midst of a very tumultuous time, I think, in human history where, I mean, like I, I wouldn't have done, I would have never imagined doing a podcast 10, 15 years ago when I was a kid or 20 years ago when I was a kid. And the technology, the, the pace of life, everything is, is evolving so fastly. And for certain, I think that's being reflected in the church. One put this, So the person who talked about traditional seminaries, traditional orders being full, I think that's a beautiful sign of the work of the Holy Spirit, first of all. I think traditionalism is a, a vibrant movement within the church. But this is where I would always challenge anybody who aspires to traditionalism, loves the elements of it, is it's a movement like other movements that have come and gone in the church. I would say similar perhaps to the charismatic renewal of the 60s and 70s, which 
in its time bore a lot of fruit in terms of vocations, um, to the priesthood, to the religious life. Many healthy vocations came out of the charismatic renewal in the 60s and 70s. And what we're seeing now in our current time is that many healthy vocations are coming from traditionalist families, uh, parishes, and from the Latin Mass. And I've seen it with many seminaries that I've worked with and friends I've had, friend, priest friends. I think this is the challenge, though, that actually Pope Benedict referred to in some documents. I, I don't have the citations on me is that movements always have to recognize that they're, they're almost kind of a niche market, that they, they never represent the totality of the church. The church is never going to completely be remade after the image of a movement. The movement will influence it. It will create a, a bit of a synthesis. It'll, it'll lead to discussions, but it will, there will always be the more mainstream that will never numerically look like a, a particular movement, whether it be the charismatic renewal or the traditionalists. So the next thing, um, we talked about the, the pre-celebration of the Mass. What I have seen in reforming the liturgy is I have seen in my celebration of the Mass and in other people, the way the priest celebrates the Mass over time will influence everything else about the celebration, including things like the music and, and the people's disposition. The, the centrality of the Mass, and people are not going to like this, they're going to say it's clericalist, but is the priest orienting his heart towards contemplation? Is the priest growing in his solitude of heart when he's doing his mental prayer and meditation, when he's meditating on the scriptures? Is he himself in his private prayer being led into that wordless, imageless resting? Is he learning the art of surrendering to the Lord in the heart? And I believe above all else, that will bear the most fruit. And actually, I think if you even see with some of the orders, I think some of the, the strength in them, like the, the fraternity of St. Peter and some of these traditional orders, is that the, the, there's a resurgence in the practice of mental prayer and daily ruminating on the Word and connecting with the presence of the Lord. Finally, one person, the, the last comment, they talked about participation. People need to sing, they need to dance, they need to say the responses. That's partially true, but let's go back to that exterior, psychological, spiritual. So bodily, psychological, spiritual. The exterior comportment is good if it leads to the spiritual. So there are people, and Pope Benedict brings this out in um, uh, Spirit of the Liturgy. He says, you know, that the, 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 the primary mode of participation is the spiritual, the more interior. Um, and that happens by virtue of our baptism um, by persevering in a state of grace. The exterior can help aid in that recollection, but we have to recognize that primarily the primary participation is by virtue of our baptism and by virtue of, per, of persevering in a state of grace. So this has been, I've gotten into this whole idea of Save the Liturgy, Save the World. This has been Father Ian Van Heusen, the Art of Living Well podcast. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, please review us, comment, share, and let's let's spread the word. I hope you've enjoyed this. And if you do, just spread the word. Help us to reach other people that might might uh, be edified by this. Thank you and God bless.